Hello, I'm Simon. And I'm Dan. And this is the Wikicast, a podcast where Wikipedia takes us to a random article and we talk about what we find for like 30 seconds. Dan, what do we talk about this? Uh, uh, Smooth. Dan, what are we talking about this? Let me finish. <laughs> Dan, what are we talking about this week? This God. week, Simon, we are talking about Edwin Holmes, inventor. Oh, oh, okay. Right, okay, let me guess. I- I- inventor, Victorian? Uh, yeah, I suppose. Okay, so that means, like, late Victorian, I'm guessing. Well, he's an American. Oh, oh, okay, right, right, so I should have... 19th century? Yeah. Okay, uh, has he invented anything that, like, I would know, or people would generally know? Yes. Oh, can you give me a clue? Um, it's a very important thing to have in your house in case of an emergency. Air. A fire extinguisher? Or maybe let not a fire extinguisher, but you're you're thinking along the right lines. Um, it is some form of alarm. A fire alarm. Not a fire alarm. Burglar alarm. Burglar alarm. Oh, he invented the burglar alarm. Edwin Holmes, April born eight, April twenty fifth, eighteen twenty, died in nineteen o one. Was an American businessman who is credited with commercialising the electromagnetic burglar alarm and with establishing the first burglar alarm networks. How on earth in the 19th century does a burglar alarm work that's not a dog? Because, I, like, I mean, obviously, like, there were burglar alarms before they were called dogs. But, like, yeah, how does that even work? Well, I'm going to read you, read to you about the burglar alarm. The alarm was patented in 1853 by the Reverend Augustus Russell Pope of Somerville, Massachusetts. Wow. Edwin Holmes acquired Pope's patent rights in 1853... Uh, for 1500 US dollars. That was a lot. That was a lot. Back then. And manufactured the device in his factory in Boston, Massachusetts. He began to sell them in 1858. His son, Edwin Thomas Holmes, took over his father's company after his death and documented the events in his biography, A Wonderful 50 Years. Initially, people were fearful of and sceptical about using electricity for alarms, and the business did not go well. Therefore, in 1859, in search of a new and bigger market, Holmes moved his business to New York, which was then perceived as a place where all the country's burglars made their home. (laughs) Wow. I mean, nowadays it's just white-collar crime. Yeah. There, There, by 1866, he installed 1,200 home alarms and began successful marketing among business enterprises. By 1877... Uh, he established the first network of alarms monitored by a central station in New York and his son, and sent his son to copy this system in Boston. Uh, the son, however, discovered that the network could use pre-existing phone cables instead of laying its own. In this way, he quickly assembled a 700-alarm network, which his father then copied in New York. Well, that's a bit of, that's a, bit of a flex, isn't it? Your dad calling you up and saying, yeah, I've got this great idea. Um, I've done all the hard labour. If you can just kind of read this and sort it out, you then read it and go, I can one-up you. Then you call back your dad and go, I think you need to do it this way. <laughs> um, in 1878, Holmes began the president of the newly established Bell Phone Company. Oh! Um, while he sold his interests two years later for 100,000 US dollars. Right, how, in what year was that? Two years later, so 1880. Uh, right, hang on. $100,000 in 1880 is... Oh, my God. Is... Hang on, have I got that right? Guess how much you think that is worth these days. Um, 25 million. Very close. You're an order of magnitude off. $100,000 is $2.5 million. Ah, wow. But wow. That's big money. So I'm, I'm, I guess that, like, the way that... From a, for a primitive burglar alarm, it's like... A circuit, mm. presumably. You know, you have like a closed circuit when your door is shut, because that's probably where burglars would pick, you know, pick the lock, open the door. So when the door is opened and the alarm is set, it just sets off a loud noise, I, I guess. Yeah. Is that how it worked? I think it must be. But because this is America, I'd like to imagine that it just sets off like a Colt 45, it just starts firing shots in the air. It, it, it's Americanizing, uh, you know. A typical thing that over here in, in Europe, you know, pansy land, we just make a loud noise. Mm. No, guns. <laughs> After World War II, many inventions were introduced into the business of home alarm systems. It became less expensive and more versatile for use in the 1980s. And by the middle of the 1990s, the system had become a standard feature. 
In the most advanced examples of anti-burglary alarms, motion detectors, surveillance equipment and electronic tracking devices are being used. Yeah, so it like detects motion if you're not expected to be home. Of course, I'm guessing that doesn't work if you have a pet. He's a cool-looking dude, Edwin Holmes. I'm going to look up a picture. Hang on. Is this, is, does he look like a, a 19th century inventor? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, he does. <laughs> He's got an outrageous moustache. Yeah. He, he also has a collar uh, and sort of lapels that appear to be made out of uh, a hedge. Yeah, or popcorn. Yeah, it's quite something. It really is a strong look. <laughs> oh, wow. This is interesting. He was born to Sally Graves and Thomas Holmes. His father was from New Hampshire, where he served as the town postmaster. Mm. He had four children, two boys and two girls. One of the girls was Ella Holmes White, a Titanic survivor. That's pretty cool. That's fun. So, uh, well, the fact that that means they must have been a pretty well-to-do family anyway if she survived the sinking. Yes. Just statistically speaking. Oh, that's interesting. Served as the town postmaster. Yeah. There's a, there's a great crest, by the way. I just, just Googled. Uh, there is the, the Holmes Electric Protective Company. There's a seal that, like... You know how um, on old buildings in this country you will have like a little a a, a symbol that will be hmm. indicative of if this building catches fire, call this number and we'll come and put the fire out hmm. type thing. Um, presumably, there's a similar thing here, but it just says Homes Electric Protection. These premises protected from burglary, and I can't tell what it's meant to be in the middle. It almost looks like a guy getting electrocuted Gosh. in a bunch of clouds. It's Quite something. Wow. But speaking of, so the reason I, I, I mentioned pets then uh, was you have a, a visitor in your home at the moment, don't you? We have a house rabbit. Uh, called? Edith. Edith the house rabbit. It's a good name for a rabbit. Edith the house rabbit. And Edith is doing, or has been doing very well. Um, however, she had a she had an operation yesterday where where she was she was going to be spayed for, for I think, for the, for the, for her own good and the good of other male rabbits in <laughs> In the, in our postcode, <laughs> these genes need to die yeah, out. Yeah, I mean, famously, rabbits breed like well, rabbits. rabbits. Uh, so yeah, so she's she's feeling a bit tender today, and I think we're we're going to be taking her to the vet again just to for like a post op check because she hasn't been eating quite as much as she normally would. So mm. we're going to be taking her later this afternoon and just check that everything's all right. Um, I'm sure it will be. I mean, what, do you like having a house rabbit? It, it's a pet that, if I'm honest, I would be worried about stepping on more than anything else. Yeah, I mean, it's not my rabbit of choice. My, It's my partner's <laughs> rabbit. And uh, uh, I think if I were to have a pet, I'd want to, A, make sure that I was in the right time of my life to have a pet, and B, make sure it was a dog. <laughs> now, as you know, Simon, the house here is, is too small for a dog. It's got a decent garden, but I would want something that was just a bit more manageable. Not even a tiny dog? No, actually not even a tiny dog, because so much of it is upstairs. I also don't want a tiny dog. I don't. I, I find that the temperament of a small dog can sometimes be a bit kind of yappy and, you know, small dog syndrome, famously. I only realised this recently of if you watch dogs, I was going to say in the wild, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in parks, when, when, when they bark at each other, I never clicked that dogs only bark at dogs that are bigger than them. Yeah. A dog a dog very rarely will bark at a smaller dog. I guess because it already feels secure. So presumably if you're a small dog, everything is bigger yes. than you. It's not necessarily like inherent in their character. It's just they are smaller than yeah. all other dogs. I think they also do have a by, by in part of being a small dog, they 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 feel like they've got something to prove. Napoleon syndrome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um whereas like we've got a we've got a black lab at home who is big for a for a labrador. Um hmm. and uh He's just great. He's Fiverr. He has the most lovely temperament and he's very calm. He he rarely ever barks um, unless he's, I don't know, out and about. You step on his paw. Yeah, you? exactly. Or he sees a, I don't know, sees a pheasant in the garden and has to inform everybody. Um, or his favourite... Stay calm! Person. Stay calm, everyone! Stay calm! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, um, he'll, he'll, sit on, he'll sit at the back door looking out into the garden and will bark at the wind because he doesn't quite understand that the wind makes the trees blow and makes them kind of the leaves rub against each other and have that, that kind of like shh sound. Um, and uh, he doesn't, he hasn't quite understood how that works. Yeah. <laughs> Bless, him. Bless him. Yeah. Because we, we took Jasmine to the vet. So uh, my, for those of you who are not aware, my pet cat Jasmine uh, has been uh, recently diagnosed with kidney disease. Uh which is very common in older cats. She's 18. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's expected. 
at that age, if if they survive to that age, because that's that's a good innings for a cat anyway. Mm. Um, but we took her in, and um, <laughs> bless her, she's just so old and sweet. And you know, when when they when they took her into the vets, apparently they took the the she didn't want to come out of her cage thing, so they just took the lid off of the cage. She didn't try and run away or anything. She just sort of sat quite politely, and you know, just let the vets do their thing. But um, she's um, oh, she was only. One and a half kilos, I think they measured her at. Like they were like, she's so small. Like and and especially, I grew up with a very large cat. Um, she's so wee, you know. Mm. She's just so slight and everything. But uh, yeah, bless her. She when she goes, she does. She does this funny thing when we take her to the vet. Um, that. <laughs> It's, I always find it fascinating when you're at the vets anyway, just seeing how the animal reacts to being there. Because some animals are like trying to get out of their cage. They're like, I'm not going back. You'll never take me back. Yeah. Um, and some just kind of sit there. Uh, whereas what she does is she will yowl at you when you put her in the car. And for the first five minutes of the drive, she'll just be like, ah, yeah. ah, ah. <laughs> and then after about five minutes, she'll be like, ah, I guess it's all right. Yeah, no, <laughs> she'll just be perfectly behaved. Like she'll start nuzzling at your finger through a hole in the cage and everything, and, she, and then you get to the other end, and she'll be like, "Ah, <laughs> ah!" And then about five minutes of waiting, she'll be like, "Ah, there's no point." Yeah, <laughs> like, just just kind of... I mean, I think we're all like that in car journeys. I when I get in my car, I, I, good good first five ten minutes, I'm I'm screaming, <laughs> uh, and then. Uh... Then we settle down. Well, and, and actually, so this is probably as good a place as, as any to put this in the podcast. Um, I am moving next... Uh, well, actually, I'm not sure when this podcast is coming out. I can't quite remember. Um, I may actually be in the new house by the time this comes out, but I'm moving much closer to Dan. Hurrah! Um, I am moving to the correct side of the country, the west side of the country, uh, because uh, Pixel Girl is starting a new job in sort of the Bath area, and um, we just secured a house uh, recently. Because I mentioned, I think, a couple of episodes ago, like, you know, searching for houses and everything mm. and um how you get really nosy and it got really depressing for a while mm. of you know you call a property becomes available on right move and you call up and they're like no sorry we've already had 30 calls about this like yeah. you know sorry uh and so we eventually uh, this is a free tip for people who are perhaps around our age and interested in moving properties don't go via right move or zoopla or anything like that what you want to do is find the estate agents in the area that you're moving to and register with them hmm. and they will call you if something becomes available before yeah. it goes on those aggregator websites. Yeah. Because we uh we we found a place on Rightmove that nobody really wanted to rent, which was a shame because it was such a it was an incredibly characterful building. Hmm. But it was just a bit impractical for us. And but then we registered whilst we were there and then, you know, the next day they were like, "Oh, by the way, another property has become available." And it turned out in the end that uh, we went through that process a couple of times and we found this like dream house that's absolutely perfect for us and perfect for Jasmine because it has a nice big garden that she can uh, roam around Fantastic. in free like she's a tiger. So you're so you're pleased with the you're pleased with the house, are you? Very very happy with it and uh, it's um, like a new build ish. It's a couple of years old and it's detached unusually for a new build. Wow. Um. So no more noise complaints for me. Mm. Um. <laughs> just kidding. Uh and uh yeah, it's 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 kind of everything we we'd hoped for really. Um in renting this one for a year and then hopefully buying somewhere a bit afterwards because mortgages are stupid yeah. when you're moving across the country. But yeah, the long and short of it is I'm moving to be much closer to Dan. Uh and so fingers crossed you'll be getting more Dan and Simon content. Uh well, I'm not quite sure when we're allowed to meet up, but when we are allowed, we'll be we'll be doing some of that. Well, I've got these exams coming up in early in early June and I think I'm done by the 11th or the 12th and then the, the second week of that exam period obviously I, I don't have anything on so it would be feasible for me to come up and visit and maybe do something in the garden or oh yeah uh, and if you I mean equally if you need a if you need a hand with anything for the house I can be an extra set of hands or or legs or feet if we, if we, if we need to land a, a helicopter or yeah indeed yeah exactly that's that's a callback from last episode. <laughs> do, do we want to tell them about last episode? Like what the the, the secret here is? Why not? You can you can tell them. Where are you recording it? The day after, Dan. <laughs> it's, it's it's the day after the last episode. Yeah, this is this. We we, we were doing the intro to this podcast, and and you know Simon did the the little lead in. We, again, more how the sausage is made. We typically whoever's leading, uh, whoever says their name first, hmm. uh, will also take it upon themselves to sing a little bit of the theme tune, so we can kind of get into. 
the right headspace, you know, because because this is a very 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 professional. It's probably, it's probably very unhelpful to Fergus. <laughs> so and and hearing again in in kind of like daily succession. Dun, 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 dun. I was like, oh wait, this feels so wrong. Dan, I've just realised something. By the way, what? Uh, we never marked up. This is more of how the sausage is made. <laughs> oh gosh. Right, hang on, Fergus. Fergus, sunshine. Right, we're going to do a markup now. <laughs> Sorry, Fergus. <laughs> right, and in three, two, one, mark. mark. There we go. We're really showing how the sausage is made on this podcast. <laughs> I made that a fairly loud mark, so I think it's actually the highest peak in my waveform, Fergus, if that helps you. Oh, I tried tapping the microphone, but looking at my waveform, that barely registered. God, wow. I, well, it helps that I have three pop filters. Yeah. <laughs> because apparently my plosives are very powerful I'll tell you what just to show if i get rid of the first two pop filters i'll do that again my plosives are very powerful plosives 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 are very powerful you can probably tell the difference of how yeah. much gets removed lordy um, I- I blame that on being a singer. I don't know if you have this problem as well, because you and I know you only have the one pop filter, but you mm. are more of a singer than I. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it certainly does things to kind of enhance your enunciation. You know, I mean, I was doing, mm. I was chatting again with with my partner earlier, and we were we were talking about oh, what are they called? Tongue twisters. Oh, Jesus, I wondered where you were going with that. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, well, what you, what's your favourite tongue twister, Simon? That's a good question, actually. I mean, equally, um, it doesn't have to be a favourite. It could just be a tongue twister that you know. I appreciate having a favourite tongue twister. It's quite a niche thing. I do like um, copper-plated... Di- <laughs> <laughs> well done. Cop- copper-plated kettle in popper catapetal. Oh, wow. It's like a, that's a normal... Or is it, it might be the other way around, actually. Yeah. Uh, I've heard of a proper cup of coffee from a copper coffee pot. Oh, OK. Which is, which, which is quite a good one. Um, my other favourite uh, is... Uh, there's there's unique New York, which which if you're from New York you wouldn't say because you don't do the kind of Enya sound, um, mm. but then also Irish wristwatch is very good. Irish wristwatch, yes, that's a good one. I'm actually seeing there's there's one here that's to a scale. I just googled. I wanted to see what the correct one was, um, but to to a scale, one is popper catapet. Oh, f- Hey, ah! <laughs> I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll say it, I won't even try and sing it. Popper catapetal, copper plated kettle, hippopotamus's Mississippi River. Right. But that's meant to be to a scale in one breath. I see. I don't Popper catapetal. But that's not enough. Are you doing two octaves? Or are you do are you going um up a third, back a step? So like da 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 Wow, um, that sounds a lot like the Wikicast theme. Actually, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Put it like laughs> <that. laughs> we've been uh, we've been discovered this whole time. Oh, we should get Barney to compose us a, a proper theme. You know. Oh man, I wonder if he would. I reckon he would. I, I mean, we pay him because you know I'm not just going to ask people to do free work. Yeah. But like Barney, if you're listening, yeah. let us know if you fancy composing something because we've already had the jazz version of the the Wikicast theme uh, yeah. by uh, Matt Can. Yeah, and, and well, several themes by Matt Can. We had a jazzy one, we had a cheesy one, we had a sad one, we had... Yeah, we had, he, he, he gave us, I think, four or four or five. I love having talented friends. Yeah, it's, I, a, it's like, a lovely thing. It makes you feel very small and insignificant, but it's just so wonderful to be like... It's that um, the screenshot of Michael from The Office where he's just like really proud and looking yeah. up at someone. Yeah. Like, that's how I feel so much of the time about my friends where I'm just like, yeah, you go that's great <laughs> and it's so and it's so frequently as well just you know from doing this for so long like you have a lot of youtuber friends and yeah. you know you watch one of their videos and it's like this was great like i'm so i'm so proud of you yeah but at the same time there is that little part of you that's like you f-er. <laughs> like why can't i do that <laughs> but in this in this case like you know for, for, uh, oh god too many names Barney, if if you want to do some music for us, that would be amazing. It'd be the most overworked podcast theme of all time. You could, I mean, tying into last last episode when we when we suggested to Barney that he needs to do a, a video on uh, Eurovision, <laughs> you could perhaps try and incorporate a level of glitter and cheesiness uh, from Eurovision into a Wikicast jingle. Who knows? And then you can you can enter it into a competition and you can play it with an orchestra in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be fine. 
Where would be? Well, aim a little bigger. Let's say let's aim for Eurovision finals. You know, with the with the <laughs> the theme of the twenty twenty two Eurovision Song Contest. I was um I was driving out to Woodbury this morning because I needed to sell a car for scrap. Mm. What a legend! And they however they were Radio One was just obsessing over Eurovision and they were playing all of the winning songs in kind of rapid succession. Mm-hmm. And it's just I mean it you almost. It felt like a, a journey that was twice as long as it should have been, I think, because the music's just so intense, you know? Oh, intense was not the word I thought you were going to say there. Uh, no, it's just, it's quite OTT. Yeah. It's like when you walk into a room that's got a really lovely but strong scented candle and you can only smell it for maybe kind of, I don't know, 15 minutes and then you've got to stop because you will get a headache. It's like walking into Lush. Yeah. Oh, how do people work in Lush? I don't know. I couldn't do it. They do lovely things. Well, their things are Lush, but quite. I... I I mean, I, I couldn't work there. Yeah, it's... I mean, I've said this before several times that my um, college library at St. Peter's always smelled of sticky toffee pudding. Nice. Which was... but And, like, it was nice. It was just on that boundary of... On the on a... On a oh, God, what, what's the opposite of Lush? What's a place that has zero scent whatsoever? The Apple Store? The app, right, on the scale of the Apple Store to Lush, it was pretty much bang in the middle. It was, if the smell was any more powerful, it would have been overwhelming. Mm. But if it was any less, you probably would have missed it a little bit. Mm. Like, it was it was actually wonderful, but, you know, you did have to leave every couple of hours if you yeah. wanted to get fresh air. Yeah. But, yeah, I'd, you know, I've never been in a library like it, and I have no idea why it smelled that way. But as soon as I walked in for the first time, I was like, that's sticky toffee pudding. I'm immediately hungry. That's crazy. Of all of the puddings you could make something smell like, I think that's probably <laughs> one of the best ones, to be fair. What was the article about again, Dan? Edwin Holmes, obviously, inventor of the sticky toffee pu- uh, inventor of the burglar alarm. Who invented the sticky toffee pudding? Now that's a real question. Yeah, now that is a question. Hang on, I'm rapid Googling here. Francis Coulson. You're joking. Guess when the sticky toffee pudding was invented, allegedly. Um... Can I have a clue? It's not when you think it is. Oh, brilliant. Thanks very much. <laughs> um, is it is it in the 19th century or is it older? I, right, okay. I'll read you the article from Wiki here. Because, okay. of course, it has its own wiki. The exact origins of sticky toffee pudding are unknown and disputed. Francis Coulson and Robert Lee developed and served the dish at their Sharrow Bay County Country House Hotel in the Lake District in the 1970s. Oh, I would never have guessed that it was that modern. No, because you can have things like you can put dates into a sticky toffee pudding. And I was wondering whether there was, it was going to be something obscure, like there was a there was a sticky toffee pudding like dessert served in mm. ancient Egypt to King Tut. And he, you know, and, but, but obviously they didn't have custard, you know, something... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. When we, I mean, now I want to know when custard was invented. Food critic Simon Hopkinson claimed that Coulson told him he got a recipe from a Patricia Martin of Cloughton in Lancashire, and it only differs in the source. Oh. And then her son later told Hopkinson that she originally got the recipe from two Canadian Air Force officers who had lodged at her hotel during the Second World War. According to Hopkinson, this Canadian origin makes sense as the pudding uses a batter more akin to an American muffin than an English sponge. I see. God, like food history is fascinating, but yeah. that, I like that's I never would have I never would have guessed that it was that modern. I'm just I'm just wikiing custard now, and that has a much longer origin. Yeah, cust- yeah, custards baked in pastry were very popular in the Middle Ages. Yes, yeah, I can believe that. Yeah, which I mean, it's just pretty cool, but I mean, isn't it? Real custard was only invented when they put it in powder form. Well, I mean, real custard. As far as I'm concerned, real custard comes from a packet. Oh no, we're a custard making house. We make custard. No, 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 no. no, no. We, I made a hollandaise the other day. Oh really? For my for eggs Benedict. Yeah, it was lovely. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Oh, actually speaking. Sorry, just before we close out this section, we invented something last night, Dan. Did you really? Last night was the back row stream. So for those of you that don't know, I stream on Twitch, and on Thursdays we get people from uh, mostly from Chapel Choir, but also we have other guests like uh, Dan Hanvey and uh, Captain Reed. Uh, and recently we've been playing a lot of GeoGuessr, mm. and we invented what we've called Inverse Weatherspoon Guesser. So there is a map. The, the whole per- the whole principle of GeoGuessr is you get dropped in a random location on a map on Google Street View, and then you have to using clues around you guess where you are. Um, and often you do playlists of 
themed. You know, mm. so so for example, you'll be dropped outside of a Weatherspoons pub. For those of you not from the UK, Weatherspoons is a chain of pubs. It's kind of like the Chuck E. Cheese of pubs, that kind of thing. Um, and the idea is, you know, you have to guess which Weatherspoons you're at as precisely as possible. What we invented was we play a UK city's map and it's then a race to be the first person to find a Weatherspoons pub in Google Street View. Right. So you'll start on a street somewhere in a UK town yeah. and then you have to all trawl through the town, clicking as you go, you know, going forwards and forwards and forwards, turning around corners until you can find a Weatherspoons. Wow. And it was surprisingly difficult in some places. Yeah, I can believe that. Like in, I, th- I think we were in Swindon and it was like 30 seconds to find a Weatherspoons. Um, when we were in Manchester, I think we found one in 15 minutes. Wow. Like Manchester has three Weatherspoons apparently in the city centre. Edinburgh has like one. It's it's actually, it's amazing how uh, how places really have a strong... Uh, like independent pub tradition mm. and you just I guess you don't realise it until you explicitly go looking for a Weatherspoons maybe hmm. but there we go I may not have invented the burger alarm but we, we I partly came up with because uh, it wasn't my invention it was Cass B from chat uh, came up with inverse Weatherspoon guesser and I, I'd recommend that we all play it at home it's a it's a good laugh <laughs> <laughs> And this will be my piece of the week. Drum roll, please. Well, Dan, what's your core piece of the week? Of the day, really? Yeah, well, exactly. I feel like it's been a bit... It's been... Well, we had a very nerdy, corally conversation, which is a wonderful thing to have when when Barney Mm. so kindly joined us uh, for last episode. So I was thinking I'm I'm, going to keep... I want to keep this one brief too, but it may well be more pertinent than than, than usual because it was actually it was an, an anniversary uh, of of a, of a, of my choral piece of the week yesterday, Simon. And I think you actually have, you sang at the premiere. Do you, does that give you any clues? Oh, was this the Philip Cook Nunc Dimittis? It is the Philip Cook Nunc Dimittis. Oh, he shoots, he scores. Yeah, that was a lovely piece. It was really lovely, and I was listening back to it, and not only did our our golden boy, Hugo Wickman, Mm. uh, do do an absolutely lovely lovely solo uh, throughout throughout the Nunk, but it's just a really, really beautiful piece of music. I really like it. It's very simple. Yeah, it is, and it's... it's, But it it works. I don't know how to... I mean, Barney would likely be able to describe it far better than than you or I, Simon, but... (laughs) I, it's it's very it's very atmospheric. There's a real there's a real kind of sense of when I hear it, I think of a kind of a, a, a misty a misty sort of Dartmoor, mm. and there is a there is a there is a single maybe a solitary silhouette of someone in, a, in on the distance that's always kind of constantly out of reach, and then there are moments where that that mist and fog might clear slightly, and and said silhouette becomes more clear. And you start to kind of really get a defined person, and then it then the mist rolls in again, and and it's all kind of it's all gone. I find that nunks in particular suit that style of music very well. There is a certain kind of of all of the texts that you can set. It's I don't know to me at least it's what it's if not the most it's one of the most yeah appropriate for kind of mysticism almost yeah it's a very it's a very kind of evocative. Um, text, isn't it? I mean, whether you're singing it in English or Latin, I think the actual phonetic nature of the Latin text mm. is quite kind of, I don't know, it sounds lovely. So the the Magnificat, I think, is more kind of structured and and, and, and stark. But the, the, the Nunc Dimittis is Nunc Dimittis servum tuum domine secundum verbum tuum in pace quia viderunt oculi mei salutare tuum and it's 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 very kind of it's it's they're, they're words that hug you and and you can either take that Latin text for obviously what it means in translation for the purposes of liturgy but also it just sounds lovely to the ear yeah and then when you when you sing something like the Stopford Truro Nunc Dimittis. I was going to mention that. I think that's, that. a re- that's a really, really beautiful, where music and 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 words really, really come together in a, in a, in a special way. 
It's it's again very simple. It's something about the it's letting the text speak for itself, mm. isn't it? You know, it's it's just putting you know kind of block chords underneath and doing very little that that gets in the way of being able to understand the words. You know, not no complicated melodies, no polyphony, nothing like that. It's just one nice melody sung by sopranos over the top of effects of everybody else doing the chords underneath. Like I want that sung at my funeral if I get a chance to have a choir at my funeral. Yeah, because it's yeah, it's like a it's a lullaby almost, isn't it? Mm, yeah, and then we did. Uh, do you remember doing? Um, God, what was his name? Lukashevsky. Yeah, Lukashevsky. That's uh, we did his nunk too, I believe. Yeah, and that. Hang on, that one is. How does that go? I've just found a Tenebrae recording of it. The Mike Wazowski, as we used to call it. Yes. Yeah. I try to remember the melody of that. I it's gone completely out of my mind. Again, it's got a sort of soundscapey vibe to it, so it might be hard to place the melody. I listened to it not long ago, but I, I can't recall it either. But that's another example of it. So anyway, I said I wasn't going to ramble, and look at me rambling away. Um, <laughs> uh, the Philip Cook, Nunc Dimittis, uh, the anniversary, the four-year anniversary of which was yesterday, sung by... Hugo Wickman. The University of Exeter Chapel Choir and conducted by Ed Jones, who has recently been made the new Master of Music and the Choristers Director of Music at uh, Wakefield Cathedral. Yeah, big place from him, actually. Yeah. God, I miss Dr. Jones. Yeah, he's, he's great. Uh, Dr. Jones. Calling Dr. Jones. Uh, it, it, there was two, wasn't it? You could either go for the Dr. Jones, Jones, calling Dr. Jones, or the kid from Temple of Doom. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Jones! Dr. Jones! <laughs> oh, God, that's a terrible film. That has not aged well. Yikes. Top lad! And we're in Patreon Corner. There are no other corners in this show. Don't worry. You haven't missed anything. Mm. It's fine. Um, uh, this is the part of the show that makes the show possible, basically. Mm. Uh, we are entirely funded by the generous support of people on patreon.com forward slash the wikicast and soon very day by day it seems more likely that we're actually going to be able to spaff a, a actually quite substantial amount of money that has now built up and we are going to use it it has in my accounting spreadsheet it is going to go on wikicast projects i can assure you excellent which means that we're going to need to start buying some like gold-plated like paintbrushes down. I mean, well, one project that we did say we were going to do, I don't know if you remember this actually, was to get drunk and paint Warhammer together. Yeah, well, actually, and, and, you, and you know what we can drink. Are uh, the, the, the singles, the miniatures that we have. All the miniatures, yeah, they're still here. So well, perhaps what we do is we, we take a trip into Bath Games Workshop, or Warhammer as it's called now, and we each pick out a model. Yeah. And we each try and paint it and yeah. we film the process and that that's considering how expensive games workshop is that's like a thousand pounds wiped out like yeah. immediately yeah so i i think i think we can uh we can we'll get through the pile basically uh but well dan what what uh, what does the money currently go towards uh, in this pandemic the money that well i mean it 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 allows this podcast to exist for one thing without this money we would have we would not be able to pay for the hosting thank you podbean uh, thank you, Mr. Podbean. Thank you, Mr. Podbean, for all of that. Uh, it pays for our glorious editor, Fergus. Oh, he's doing a great job. I've got to say, Fergus, you're, you're doing an absolutely outstanding job on this podcast. You're, you are the best person in it, and you're not even in the podcast. It allows us, if we would like to, and I, I think we've, we've agreed that we would really like to sometime this year, do a do a kind of merchandise line, uh, the, the second season <laughs> of, of Wikicast merch, which is something that I think people are really crying out for. Mm. And then we will absolutely do that. Wailing in the streets. Yeah. I can't go to the co-op without somebody telling me, when are you going to do a Wikicast mug? <laughs> Come on, and as Simon said, um, it, it allows us to, to for us to meet in slightly easier circumstances rather than having to rely on you know public transport or doing something and realizing it costs loads of money and you know so really without your such such generous support we'd be in real trouble. Yeah, and I would like to say a very special thank you to the people who support at the top cap level. They donate five dollars a month, which is what the cost of a coffee, a, a big coffee, uh, to keep us running. And the people who also are correct in thinking that cats are the superior household pet. We don't have a we don't have a team bun. We don't. Te a team bunny would, would be an interesting third party to, to add to this, because I can think of at least one person on our Discord who would definitely support a team bun. Mm. 
But I would like to say a very special thank you to Oliver, Violet Hatch, Abu El Ella, the Physics Boy, Simon P, Jack Easton, Izzy Christie, Nafi Iftikhar, Christopher Betterton, Dame Valerie the Third, Layla Medina, Oliver Craigie, Will Jenis Humphreys, Rents Kirk, Oliver Burkhart, Omar Miranda, Cole Mansfield, Princess Andromeda, Choco Cat, Bendant, Isabel Ostrowski, Matt McGuire, and Dan Hanvey. And I would like to say an enormous thank you to Sophia, Remnar, Peter Reed, Naf Laroch, uh, Maggie, Lexi at Front Desk, Kodzo, Joss, Joss, Josh, Shiaga, uh, Jay Wright, Henry VII, King of England and of France, Lord of Ireland, Hasse Hansen, Eve Sharples, Eric Bolliger, Colin J. Brown, Ben McMurtry, Ben Caples, Aaron Carey Augustin, Adrian Chan, Alistair Fortune, and Aaron Jorgensen. Thank you so much. It's all your fault, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Top lad! We now find ourselves in Correspondence Corner, and we have uh, an email here from a very special person in the community. This is from Finn Devlin, titled Notes from a Mod, Sport, and Welcome Palindromes. So Finn uh, has been our aquatic representative on the modding team for quite some time now on the Discord and on my Twitch and is a fantastic, does a fantastic job. Uh, and I've said it before and I'll say it again. People who moderate online communities are the lifeblood of the internet. Without you, everything would grind to a halt. It's You're the lubricant on, on all social platforms. You just keep things moving along nice and smoothly. Uh, so to everybody, uh, to Finn and the people who mod my community and also to people who moderate elsewhere, you, you are doing a great thing that's so frequently unpaid and, well almost always is actually uh, and so thank you very much for all of your work um yeah you, you, you make the internet a special place Finn goes on, though, to write, uh, Dear Dan and Simon, long-time reader, first-time correspondent. I have been meaning to write in many times, however, I've yet to find the time, which means I now have a lot of low-quality anecdotes to write about. Oh, they're our favourite uh, form of uh, form of anecdote, low-quality. You'll fit right into this podcast. Yeah. Um, firstly, very many congratulations to Simon and his book. Thank you very, very much. Uh, last podcast, Dan read the word firmament in a speech from Hamlet, and I couldn't imagine how hard it was for Simon to keep his mouth shut. Uh, I will not lie. I did not notice that ah. because I was well, not because listening. it's because I yeah, exactly it's because I was doing something vaguely poetic and Simon kind of checks out my, for, for most my of brain those. just goes <laughs> just, just checks out stage right. I have I have of late, but wherefore I know not lost all my mirth. It was that one, wasn't it? Uh, that, that I would say it sounds familiar, Dan, but I'd be telling a lie. Brilliant. <laughs> Thanks. No Thanks. Thank you. Love you, too. Uh, next, a cooking tip for Dan. Try Nigella seeds rather than sesame seeds on your roasted root veg. Much better, in my opinion. Now that's all. See, I have Nigella seeds, and I I use them. I use them quite a lot in salads. Um, they're a, they're a small black. They, they look like a a small black hard um, sesame seed. Yeah, I've used them before. And they've got yeah, a kind of, yeah. like a bitter peppery. Te- they're they're yeah. I will do that. Uh, I'll do that, Finn, and I will report back next time. Okay, next next section. It's like the email from two weeks ago with the uh, footnotes. One of my favourites we've ever had, by the yeah. way. Sports. On another note, you also asked for weird sports. And while it's not that weird, I wondered if you've heard of cyclocross. Have you ever heard of cyclocross? Cyclocross? No, I, no, I haven't. Uh, I compete in road cycling. It must be difficult to do underwater. Uh, and not cyclocross. However, I do dabble. Does it involve cycling on a horse? <laughs> with a basketball with yeah with a basketball and a bit of rugby thrown in for good measure the sport essentially involves riding a road bike with fat tires over many laps of a short course that contains sections of mud sand stairs short and steep climbs that are sometimes sandy and even 40 centimeter barriers which you have to hop over so it's well, it's like cross country combined with with a bike it's parkour on a bike parkour on a bike yeah i like that a lot um uh, the home of cyclocross is Belgium, and sometimes the courses look indistinguishable from a First World War trench. Good grief. When you become tired, sometimes the obstacles are too difficult, and you must hop off the bike and carry it over one shoulder to run up the bank, stairs, sand, etc., and then hop back on the bike. Obviously, lots of time can be made up with your mounting technique. Woof. Uh, so the pros throw themselves onto the bike with absolutely no regard for their Gentiles. <laughs> All in all, this sport is just self-inflicted pain in the winter's cold. I've never heard of that before. No, nor have I. Wow. Another sport, which I i mean, if anybody wants to invite us to do some cyclocross, that could be a video. Like, I am determined for us to try a, a horse ball, Dan. Absolutely determined for that to be a thing. 
Finn goes on to write, Welcome palindrome. So this is some deep lore right. that we're going on here. Okay. Uh, the point I meant to write in about weeks ago, some Discord lore which I thought I could explain to many readers in and not yet on the Discord, because obviously they'll want to join after hearing this. It is a wonderful place, it's got to be said. When a new member joins the Discord, they are showered with welcomes. An average they have calculated, of 7.4, to be precise. And obviously the main goal of these welcomes are to welcome the new member to the Discord. No sh**. However, that's Finn wrote that, not me. Uh, <laughs> however, these welcomes have a secondary objective, to form a welcome palindrome. What's a welcome palindrome, you ask? Well, the specific rules can be found in the pinned messages of Chit Chat, <laughs> Chit -chat channel. However, briefly, definition. A welcome palindrome is defined as the sequence of welcome messages after a new member joins, such that the role colours of members form a palindrome. Ah. If you have trouble visualising this, check the pinned messages again to find our longest ever palindrome. But an example would be a patron says welcome, then a Twitch sub, then a mod, then a Twitch sub, then a patron. So that would go orange, purple, pink, purple, orange. Um, no, there isn't actually a... a a bijective relation between colour and role name. Hmm. Oh, I see. Hmm. Right. Uh, since both Top Cat and Top Dog map to yellow, so yes, we do indeed use colour, not role names. Which is, like, I, this happened completely organically. I love it when online communities do yeah. this. Like, I, it wasn't like I set down an edict that was like, you shall welcome in palindromes. Yes, yeah. But they decided this was a sensible use of their time. And it, and it's so cool when, like, you see them being, like, a new member's... Someone has joined and they're like, we did it, team! That's yeah. a seven palindrome. And the yeah. new person is like, what the f*** just happened? Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, last September, when I started this by stating that I wanted a naturally occurring welcome palindrome, my goal was of length 12. And for months, we'd never got past length eight. Then, one fateful night... The 9th of March, 2021, we smashed the record with a 21-length, naturally occurring palindrome, which also centred around Simon. See Discord for the image. Yeah, I think that was me jumping in and saying, welcome, but because I'm the only person with my tag on the Discord, mm. I, I had to be in the middle. Uh, and so they, they like coordinated so that, like, okay, right, I, I, I'm a Twitch sub, so I need to wait for two other people to say, like, welcome first. Amazing, yeah. Amazing. I love Incredible that. coordination. Like, like a, it's like when you see ants forming a mole, like, you're falling an anthill. It's like very simple individual minds. Yes. <laughs> and with no seeming coordination, but they make these amazing things. That's going to get quoted and put on the Discord banner, isn't it? It's going to be on the back of your book, I think. <laughs> Uh, I'm aware this could be quite confusing to many readers or Discord members who do not know the ways of the palindrome, and therefore I hope to have enlightened them. Also, I'd like to say on behalf of the mod team that we have such a wonderful community and it's been a pleasure to moderate over the last year. In fact, both me and Trustworthy Ginger have our modiversary coming up at the start of May. Oh, we, we actually missed that, Finn. Sorry, this has been waiting for us to read out for a while. Uh, how time flies. Fruit flies like a banana. <laughs> yeah. um, sincerely, Finn. Well, Finn, uh, congrats on your modiversary and to, to you and Trustworthy Ginger. Yeah, absolutely. And um, what a great email. This is this is such a wonderful example of what makes the internet special and, and online communities function and unique. Big love to both all the mods and the whole Discord. We have an email here from Matthew. And Matthew's email is titled, Holy sh**, Simon, you have a book? <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and it reads, Dear Messrs. Maimon Dark and Caniel Saw. Oh, they're like our, our bounty hunter. Uh, I, I'm imagining those as like two fantasy era bounty hunters. Yeah, yeah. Maimon Dark. <laughs> Caniel Saw. <laughs> Just a very short email to ask the new author, Dr. Simon Clark, what it feels like to have your book in Waterstones. <laughs> Been following your channel in the Wikicast since 2016, and I'm insanely proud of you. Best regards, Matthew. Aw. Oh, thank you, Matthew. Um, yeah, it doesn't quite feel real, to be completely honest. I don't think it's hit me yet, actually. Like, because mm. I obviously I haven't held a physical copy of the book because um, at the moment I am still doing edits. The way that it works is we've done two rounds of edits so far, which was basically like uh, initially are the chapters in the right order? Is the subject matter in the right order? Mm. And then it was paragraph by paragraph. Um, and we're now at a point where actually the middle section of the book, which is like the engine room of a lot of the big topics, all the stuff is there, well, with a few exceptions. I'd actually like to add a bit more in now. Um, but it's a bit muddled. There's not a clear storyline to a lot of the more... There are certain bits that are basically a bit too much like a textbook, we think. Uh, and we're going in and reworking those. So that'll be finished, I think, by 
July, I want to say. I think we've got about a month to finish off that lot. And then there's like copy editing. They make sure I use M dashes as opposed to N dashes and all yeah. that kind of shit. So you know, I haven't I haven't held the book, but I think it is going to feel that I guarantee will be the moment where it suddenly hits me that like yes. when I get sent a proof copy. Yeah. But yeah, I was on a I was on a call with my um, editor at the at the, the publisher, and he was saying like, yeah, so this is the kind of book that you know Waterstones would be really interested in, and that that uh, yeah that that really blew me away actually. Is there going to be a Waterstones nearish to you when you when you move? Yeah, there's one in Bath. So you, what you'd be able to do is contact them and say I could do a signing or I could do a I could do a I could do a chat in store or something. Yeah, so so I I mentioned this to the the publishers and they were like, you know, it's far enough along that we can be pretty confident you'll be able to do events. Yeah. Um which may well be like a couple. I don't I have no idea how the how like book release tours if you want to call it that work where you know you go around and do events in different bookshops because i i'd love to do that because obviously i i love talking about this subject matter and the whole process of writing it was really interesting and i just and it, and it's also a chance to meet people who you know, like matthew who have been uh, following my videos for so long it'd be it's a great opportunity to be like you know if you want to meet me i'm not large enough as a creator to have clark con despite what people on the, my twitch might think um like it, it's it's just not viable for me to to say you know let's all meet up in hyde park or games workshop tottenham road or something um you know whereas whereas with a book event it's like a great way to be like i'm gonna be in these cities and if you want to come and say hi to me please come along and you know you can i can sign your book or, or whatever if you if you want or i don't know sign your baby well actually speaking of events like that i know that i don't know whether it's been announced yet or if there's a when it's actually going to be happening but there is a new partnership that's going to be forming um, between the Met Office down here in Exeter, the University of Exeter and Exeter Cathedral, wanting to do a series of talks and sessions and things about the kind of the climate problem and potential solutions to it and lots of discussions. And then also filtering in, like, I think some um, sacred music and what liturgy says, um, like the religious perspective on climate change. And when that does happen, I'm sure that they'd be keen if you reached out for for you to be involved so maybe with especially with you being closer um i might do a bit of digging and, and send you um send you some stuff that'd be great yeah well and, and that's the other thing though of like when you do something like this um and you and you're offered to do events like that fingers crossed i'm i personally am really hoping that i'll be able to reach out to my old school and to my old college and be like you know it, it's such a i feel so awkward about doing this because like it sounds so arrogant but like reaching out and being like you know would you be interested in me coming in and giving a talk about it because certainly when i was at st peter's these kind of events were happening you know you'd have like uh academics or authors come in and give talks about this thing that they've just done mm. um and I really hope they would say yes because it, it would mean a lot to me, and and it, and I feel like it would be a nice way to give back specifically to the school, because um, it's not a school that people go to and go on to write books. You know, it's 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 not a school that has that kind of history of accomplishment. So it would be really cool to go back and be like, I made it out. You know, yeah, I I have severe psychological trauma, but I made it out, kids. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I, I mean yeah. So so with regards to Waterstones and events, fingers crossed. Yes. Um, and I really hope that there is one in like the Bristol Bath area, so my friends, like school f friends from when I grew up, could come and be really inappropriately raucous. Yeah, <laughs> like me coming out on stage, and it's like, oh, please welcome Simon Clark, and they're just like at the back of the room, like, yeah, woo! <laughs> <laughs> Which was me. I don't know if you remember this, but when I graduated from Exeter, that was me at the graduation ceremony. Oh, really? When like people, you know, they have like the the umpapa band playing and then they have the MC being like oh, please welcome to the stage the University of Exeter Chapel Choir and everyone else is just like politely golf clapping yeah, yeah. and there was me at the back watching everybody file on being like Woo! <laughs> <laughs> like like an American in the audience like hyping up Chapel Choir yeah yeah like a, you see those reaction videos don't you of like clips from famous scenes in films and people, I don't know why, because it's illegal to get your phone out and record, obviously, in a cinema. But yeah, yeah, um, they they record the reactions. That, so for things like, um, oh, Endgame, like where Cat picks up the hammer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or um, Dobby's death in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two. Or yeah, bless. Yeah, I really hope that that happens. I could be, I, I check that off the bucket list. Inappropriate gathering in a water in a bookshop. <laughs> mm. 
Oh, and also, I should point out, also, like, I really hope that I can do stuff for independent bookshops because there are some great ones. Um, I, we mentioned this on a previous show, actually. Is it mm. Mr. B's Emporium? Yeah, Mr. B's Emporium in Bath is, like, this, this amazing independent bookshop. Um, I haven't been to for ages now. Uh, somebody on the Discord actually said that they had pre-ordered the book on Amazon and cancelled it so they could pre-order it from their local bookshop. And apparently they were really touched that somebody called up to like put money down for a book how many months in advance and they actually chose an independent store. Um, I would encourage people to do that if you can. Like, you know, support your local bookshops because they're, they're miraculous places, bookshops. Mm. And yeah, you know, I have nothing against Waterstones or... If you live abroad, say Barnes and Noble or, or whatever, you know, there's a place for mass market books. I, I enjoy going around to Waterstones, but going around like a family owned bookshop is really special. Yeah, and absolutely. Yeah, it was just, it really actually touched me that I saw somebody who had gone to all that trouble um, and supported a local business. So, yeah, in short, Jesus Christ, book. I, it doesn't feel real yet. Give it to come back to me in a couple of months when it feels real. <laughs> yeah. All right, all right, all right, all right. So, Dan, what have we learned today? This week, Simon, we learned about Edwin Holmes, the inventor and American businessman who is credited with commercialising the electromagnetic burglar alarm. A cool dude, I think it's safe to say. Very, like, we didn't even talk, we probably had a lot more interesting content to talk about here, but we, we really went off the rails this episode. Yeah, we did. It was, it was as tangents go, pretty, pretty meandering. <laughs> as tangents go, this was like the Mississippi River. Mm. We also briefly mentioned... Uh, how much fun we had with our guest uh, last last episode. If you enjoyed um, having having uh, Barney on the pod and you'd like to ask him any questions, I'm sure that he will probably be back at some point. And if there is demand, then of course. But it would be lovely to to have some questions for him. If you'd like to to write in, then then please do. And also, if you have ideas for other people, we could bring on. Mm. We should point out, We're, like it's not suddenly just like the only guest we can ever have now is Barney. Though yeah, of I, course. I, I would be very happy to get him back. But yeah, if you have suggestions for people we could um invite, then do let us know. There are lots of people that we've 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 got on the kind of list of things, but it's it's always easier to to persuade someone to come on when we can say, yeah, loads of our listeners have been wanting to to have you. Or if you listen to a podcast and you think that we'd get along with someone that we haven't mentioned before, um, you, you know, then by all means, you know, message us, message the creator of that um, and hosts of that podcast and say, ask them to reach out because we absolutely love being able to connect and, and meet new people and, and introduce, <laughs> introduce them to the beautiful but bonkers community that we have here beautiful but bonkers that's exactly the right phrasing actually i love yeah. it <laughs> that's all for this episode don't forget to subscribe to it that's all for this i turned into ross hornby then yeah <laughs> it's not me <laughs> that's all for this episode don't forget to subscribe to us on your podcasting service of choice join the discord and if you'd like to see our faces check out our youtube channel spongy and electric potential questions for Barney, your predictions on Eurovision winner, and other thoughts on the show can be sent to us at spongyelectric at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Join us again for another tumble down the wiki rabbit hole. And we'll see, see you, you next, next time. time. Ah! Ah! Ah!